host Jennifer Adams and welcome to the Signature Leadership Podcast by Knowledge Hook, a podcast where we explore the topics most relevant to senior education leaders from around the world. Today we have the pleasure of hearing from Kathy Williams. Along with Joe Bowler, Kathy co-founded UCubed, an organization within Stanford University that is dedicated to inspiring mathematics success for all students through growth mindsets and innovative teaching. I think of Kathy as being the silent partner to Joe, but trust me, she's anything but silent. Kathy has a long history of excellence in mathematics, from high school math teacher to director of K-12 math at Vista Unified School District to professor at Stanford University. Hello, everyone. Welcome to our podcast, and it is my pleasure to introduce to you a new friend and colleague, Kathy Williams. Kathy, it is a pleasure to have you here with us today. Thank you, Jennifer. This is fun. I love the thought of sitting here and getting to talk to you for a while. Wonderful. We had a great session a little while ago, Kathy, with Joe Bowler and Tanya Lamar, and we were talking about return to learn and data science and how that's looking. So we're going to get into that a little bit later on in the conversation. But I know you work very closely with Joe Bowler, and people really know who Joe Bowler is, but I kind of think of you as being the silent partner. And I know that you're not silent, but your name might not be quite as well known. So tell us a little bit about your journey in education. You know, I was reflecting on this question. I love this question. I think all of us should really have these moments where we get to reflect on our journeys. But, you know, I just wanted to share that my parents were both educators and my mother's sister was a mathematics professor who went down that pathway in the 1920s. So I think that that's always a fascinating thing for me to think about because women in mathematics in the 20s, that's interesting, right? I was just going to say exactly that, Kathy. There were not a lot of women in employment or in higher education in the 20s, let alone someone that was in mathematics. And I don't want to throw any shade on her career, right? Because she became a nun. And I often, you know, I kind of think about it and I think, wow, that was kind of great. She got to study mathematics her entire life. In this university setting, she was at Mount St. Mary's College, Sister Rose Gertrude. I knew her as beads because of the long beads she wore. But, you know, I think about that. And I used to, as a young, very young child grew up, I just marveled at this woman who got to do mathematics all day and brought me the most amazing mathematical puzzles and would push me. You know, the little thing where you move the discs and you're trying to do it efficiently and the power of Hanoi, it's known as. She'd give me these little puzzles and then say, can you do it in fewer moves? So I think my mathematical journey in education started there. And my mom had a major in chemistry and mathematics. So my mom, you know, as well was an interesting educator and a wonderful person to, you know, mentoring me all along. But yeah, I wanted to go down the early pathways here because I remember my earliest memories, I started to get messages that are not the messages I want children to receive today. Interesting. And so I think a lot about that. You know, things like when I was in middle school and I was in algebra in eighth grade, but I was doing geometric proofs for some reason. That's what they had us doing. And these small geometric proofs, triangle quality, you know, two triangles, are they they congruent? And, you know, are they the same and all these things? And, And I remember writing a proof and the teacher saying, no, it's wrong. And I remember as a child in classroom saying, but no, it's not wrong. 
And it was because my steps weren't in the same order. Right. But I really felt, you know, inside that my steps were fine and they didn't have to be in that order, that there were different orders. And the end of the story is I was removed for that class and put in a lower class. Wow. The lower class was amazing. The teacher had to work with me and my friend who had also gotten kicked out of the class for other reasons. And she mentored us through that year, but she really gave us a positive year, which was wonderful. But after that eighth grade year, I never had another woman involved in my life in mathematics other than my aunt, as far as a leadership role. And the messages I received, you know, in college, I actually had a visiting professor. I decided to major in applied mathematics. And I was at UCSD, University of California, San Diego. My junior year of college had a professor tell me that I really should be looking for a husband. I should not be studying mathematics. I shouldn't be in his class. And I shouldn't really be thinking about a career in mathematics. So all of these things, you know, kind of coming on me as well as, you know, other really gender biased things as I was growing up. And yet having these two women in my life that were so powerful in my upbringing, I really uh, think that that molded me quite a bit. I stayed with my math degree. I decided to take my applied mathematics and move into education, which yet again, they told me I was overqualified to be a math teacher. And I thought, how can you be overqualified in mathematics to be a math teacher? I don't agree with that. So I guess, you know, I had two powerful women really pushing me to push against the system. And it's amazing, Kathy, when you think, you know, that wasn't that long ago. And we really have to be thinking, thank goodness you pushed through. But how many women didn't push through? And then you build in women of color you bring in women of LGBTQ, you bring in all of those other filters and boy, oh boy, hard to get through and be a math educator. And uh, I can tell you on behalf of all the listeners, we're saying thank you. We're really appreciative that you pushed through and you had a couple of good mentors that were guides by the side. And uh, now you're influencing education, not only in the US, but around the world. That's a great story. I know that from being a math teacher, you went into administration and you were in district leadership. Tell us a little bit about that. And what was the relationship with being a district leader with a strong instructional background? I know that feeling, but not only a strong instructional background, but a strong instructional background that's in mathematics. That's a rarity. Tell us about what that looked like. Yeah, you know, that's an interesting one because I think in leadership, you know, we have these strong backgrounds and our passions. And a lot of times you think you've got to go into site administration and, and these things to build up. And I certainly found yet again that that wasn't the case, that I was able to go into curriculum leadership. I was My father was in district administration and site administration, and I knew early on that that wasn't my pathway. I was really passionate about curriculum and mathematics. So it was interesting because what I really learned early on was how lonely that job is. Because there weren't a lot of thought partners, at least, I, you know, they're out there, but you really have to look to find them. In early on, uh, working on professional development for administrators, as far as helping them become curriculum leaders, I really, yet again, you know, full force felt the trauma that mathematics has been part of for people. Mathematics didn't cause the trauma right? It was, as I like to say, the system was broken. And so, you know, that's been fascinating. And I know, you know, listeners out there that might be wondering about their own pathway. I've got to say, finding a curriculum and instruction pathway is an amazing opportunity. 
And I worked at the county office level. And in California, the counties are broken into regions, and then the regions have county offices. And and you work together to support the districts within your county. And you have thought partners across the state in this beautiful system that they have, the Curriculum Instruction Steering Committee. And getting to be a part of that for seven years really prepared me for all that I do today with U-Cubed. And I really learned a lot about the system and got to interact with the levels of administration and teachers and, you know, the whole system within the schools. And so I really, a shout out to anyone out there, look for these jobs, they're out there and they fit for you, they're amazing. But working within a district is, often districts don't have a math person. I can't tell you how many district people contact me and say, we need a math leader, we want a math leader, but I think we don't have to be content masters to be a good math leader. Right. Is one of the things I'd like to say. It's interesting that you say that, Kathy, because I had a similar pathway as you actually, not in mathematics, but going through into the curriculum supervision and implementation area as a program superintendent in two different districts in Ontario and a similar situation. I mean, it is such a rewarding, thrilling job. You work with people that are passionate about instruction and pedagogy and assessment and doing the right things for kids and supporting teachers. It's a, it's a fascinating area of work. And actually, it's interesting the, the comment that you just made about you don't have to be a content specialist. When we developed our coaching model, that was one of the things that we put up front. We actually said we were bringing in teachers from the system, and we didn't want them to be stuck with being just the best content expert. We wanted people that really believed in adult learning and that really had good relationships with adults, because the intent is not that you're going to be the expert coming into the school. Your intent is that you are going to be going in and facilitating people working together. And yes, of course, there's a little bit of content there. I mean, that wasn't the number one priority. And I'm really happy to hear you said the same thing. You know, Jennifer, you and I are kindred spirits, right? You're spot on. I was just uh, working with the district yesterday, you know, and a relatively new assistant superintendent is trying to build a cadre of math teacher leaders. And, you know, and I remember my former work in my district where I met Joe, actually formally met and started working with her was in my previous job before U-Cubed. And I remember talking to the administrators and saying, don't necessarily give us who you perceive to be your math expert. Bring to this initial learning, the ones that we're going to develop as leaders, the person that you want walking beside you. Mm-hmm. The person that, you know, is good at communication and is open and flexible and creative and curious, right? That curiosity factor that if I sit down at a table and say, and I've been this person, so, you know, I call myself out on it, you know, (laughs) I know this and this is the way it is. That's not the person. Absolutely. I had to grow into this and, and, oh my gosh, Joe certainly has added on to my learning and just you know, helped me create another space where my mind has exploded. That's a perfect segue, Kathy, because I was going to say, how did you meet up with Joe, and what attracted you to her work? So I was working at the county office, 43 school districts. I was their K-12 math curriculum leader and also working with the universities. And you just see it and you feel it, right? There, there's these moments where you think it could be better. How do we make it better? Yeah. And if we're going to make it better, what's the plan? Because not that we have to stick to it, but where do we start? And I remember sitting there, I knew I was going to be transitioning to this district, but I was sitting in this moment and 
I could see this person off in the distance getting ready. And I, I kept saying, oh, who's that grad? That must be somebody's doctoral student or grad student. You know, and I'm looking at this person just wondering what they're doing off in the distance as there's another speaker speaking. Right. And then they do this whole introduction. And I expected a man because they kept saying Joe Bowler and they'd given us the book, What's Math Got to Do With It, which is an amazing book. And all of a sudden, Joe gets on the stage and starts speaking. And I was just... And you fall off your chair. <laughs> yeah, I'm just sitting there. And all my friends, you know, we're always, you know, teasing each other and doing all this stuff. And they said, wait, you're really into this talk. And I remember sitting there thinking, this is the answer. Yeah. She's talking about equity, mathematics for all. All students can. What do you believe? You have to start with what you believe. And I remember just being mesmerized with information I had never thought about and thinking that's where you have to start. So the story goes, I worked to get her to come to San Diego to speak through the county office. Yet again, had that moment where I was just certain, got to watch teachers listening now instead of not just leaders. Yeah. And then I went to my district. And when I got to the district, fifth largest district in San Diego County, you know, we needed to do better. Only 24% of our students were eligible to apply to colleges. And it was because of mathematics, right? So it was a needy district. I went there. Uh, we needed to reform mathematics. That's what I was hired to do. And they said, who do you want your coach to be? And I'm laughing because I'm thinking, huh, I've been everybody's coach in this area. I've worked with the university faculty in this area. They're amazing. And so I made this dream list, you know, Joe Bowler, Phil Darrow, William McCall. I had this list and I took it to my assistant superintendent and I said, okay, here's my list. And she said, well, who are these people? And I thought there's one of the problems, right? That we need to remedy in upper management and education. And she said, well, put them in order. Who would you call first? And so I had to think about that. And I said, well, obviously it's Joe. And she said, if the first one says no, call the second one. I'm sitting there thinking, none of these people are going to answer the phone. There's just no way. (laughs) And so I handed it to someone working with me and I said, you know, here's the instructions. Let me know when you get to the bottom of the list and they've all said, no, then I'll make another list. 20 minutes later, she comes back and she said, Joe Bowler said, yes, that is the moment I literally almost fell out of my chair because then I'm like, oh my gosh, I have to speak to her. Now, what do I do? Now, what am I going to tell her? You know, what is she going to think? She said, yes, wait, what does that mean? And so that started our journey together. Later, I still laugh because, you know, you talk about moments. Joe never answers the phone in her office ever. We have special messages on it. You know, she's so busy, right? She's just got so much going on. It should be on the phone all the time if she had to answer that crazy thing. So I think about what planets aligned that she answered the phone on this day. So that started it. And then we started working in the district together. She joined me there and I'd already been working with them for a few years. And she came in and just blew their minds. You know, Joe walks into the classroom and would just sit down and talk to them. She'd walk into classrooms with me and ask me questions that were so deep and painful to me that, you know, you get asked a question and you're looking in Joe's eyes and it's like, Um, The reason those students are all highlighted with red in that list in the teacher's room is because they're the ones that are low performing. And she's like, well, why are these circled? And I had to sit there and explain to her, well, those are the bubble kids. Yeah. You know, and she walks into one of the honors classes that were going on in one of the non-honors classes. And she looks in the honors class, looks at me and the principal. And she said, does the students in this class represent the demographics of your school? Tough questions. Yeah. And, you know, 
These are bowler questions, man. I was bowlered from the very beginning. And I thought she's right. It's painful. You know, sometimes you want to divert and talk about other things. Kathy, tell me about the origins of U-Cubed. Where did that come from? Well, we were working in the district. Students were happy. Most of the parents were happy. Teachers were loving it, growing and sharing. You know, the, the leadership cadre was sharing with others and others were jumping in and we were doing administrative trainings and administrators were like, yeah, you know, there were ones that were just jumping on and saying, I've got time, space, this is my priority. Because, you know, you got to pick, you can't do everything. So it was really growing. And, and we thought, well, you know, we were at NCTM in Colorado that year, 2013. And Deborah Ball was looking at Joe going, this is crazy. This is growing. What are you going to do? Hmm. Joe walks over, looks at me and says, you want to do something? And I was like, I, well, yeah, I've wanted nothing more in my life. Got some friends of mine to help us make a little website and thought, we'll just give it all away for free. Obviously, we're not business people. You know, what I didn't realize in that first week was 5,000 people signed on. Amazing. In industry standards, where I am now in the Silicon Valley, they dream of a 1,000 in a longer space of time. So as a superintendent who knew me really well in San Diego County, Joe speak for the first time. And then I spoke with Joe and she just looked at me afterwards and she said, it's like two stars have just collided and there's a new mathematical planet. I think about that often, you know, reflect on that. And I think she recognized it then that I think we were poised to start something and that mathematical planet is U-cubed. Kathy, that's such an exciting analogy to be able to say that, you know, a new math planet emerged. And boy, oh boy, when you think back to that story that you told me right at the beginning of the comments that teachers had made, we were ready for a new math planet because it can no longer be a planet where only some kids are allowed to succeed. And that's what I really respect about the work that you and Joe have done is that's the underlying messaging all the time. All kids can learn. All kids can learn math. We have to make sure that this is inclusive for everybody. Gender, race, it has to be for everyone. And I think that's what has really excited. I think teachers knew and they knew that they wanted that to be and they didn't necessarily have the skill set, all of them, to be able to make that happen. And that's where, you know, when I think of the work that we're doing at Knowledge Hook, we're trying to create that ecosystem so that Everybody has a role to play. The teachers have a role to play. The school principals have a role to play. District leaders, state leaders, provincial leaders. We all have a role to play in moving this forward. A teacher in the classroom by his or herself can't do that alone. And let's shift over now into what is that new math planet? What are the trends that you're seeing coming out? And I know that there's amazing things happening with California, but let's talk in general. What are you seeing as trends in mathematics? People have been waiting, right, to be brought to the table and to feel, and, and they're still, you know, we've got to get to more people, but say, you know what, I'm a mathematician. That isn't closed off for some people that I can think mathematically and I can contribute mathematically and I can use mathematics in my life, you know, whatever, to make things better. And we're all better together. It's like what Knowledge Hook is doing, you know, bringing people together, trying to share the message, getting information out that we all need to hear. And so I think that it's opening up. People are starting to say, wait, it isn't what we thought it was. It isn't done in isolation. It isn't trying to get an answer. Mm -hmm. I think we're finally to the point, and oh, wow, we're about to be a quarter of the way through the 21st century. 
But I think we're finally shifting where technology is going to be embraced as a tool that I use to do mathematics, not as, you know, we've been using them. And now with COVID, we've had to use them for collaboration and all that, which is fantastic. But we haven't really embraced the full capabilities of technology for mathematics learning. And I think we're on that cusp. I think we're ready to take that next step. The data science movement is definitely a piece of that. You know, let's take data, let's analyze it, but there's so much of it, we need some tools. And we can help students think computationally, mathematical thinking. They can start to use the tool to do mathematics, you know, and I'm dreaming here, right? I'm still way ahead because we have kids out there right now that are sitting as a junior in a classroom somewhere doing mathematics by hand that they know all they have to do is ask their phone and it would do it, right? Wolfram Alpha, all these things. We're still trying to program some kids to be the technology they already hold in their hands. If we just could tweak that use that technology to make math greater. The machine can't interpret and do these other things for you. That's the human mind. Let's have our kids be greater than the technology they hold in their hands. So I see it. that's coming. Data science is helping it. That's a great comment, that idea of the human side. You know, when we think of technology, right, you want the technology to be doing things that you don't need the human skills or the human analytics to go with it, right? And and let's save as much time and energy of the human to be doing those things that are uniquely human, as opposed to the kinds of things that technology can be doing. I mean, I think that's just a, a general. And when you think of education technology, or when you think of math education technology tools, I think of it not only from a student perspective, but I also think of it from a teacher perspective. So what is the technology? Like if we think of math ed tech that is teacher facing, what are the things that the technology could do that would make it much faster and easier for the teacher to do? For example, formative assessment. If we have tools, and that's why I'm with Knowledge Hook now, is if you have tools that actually make that easier for the teacher to do, then they can be spending their time actually differentiating their instruction because they know exactly where their kids are. And they're actually being told, here are some kinds of things that you can try with them. That's what's going to have an impact in the long run. It's building the capacity of the teachers. You know, it's a beautiful dance. It's a mathematics learning community. And the teacher is part of it, is a learner in the community. Absolutely. And, you know, that is the dream. And I wonder, you know, I often wonder, Part of what's broken in mathematics, we can do all these mindset messaging and all these great activities, but then there's the grading system. What can technology do for us to free the teacher from having to record scores like it's a scoreboard in a 700 inning game, right, across a semester or a grading period? The technology is amazing. Can we position it where it can really help to authentically help teachers So they're not adding points and doing an average. You know what, Kathy? We had a real advantage in Ontario. A number of years ago, there was a big conversation about assessment and evaluation. And to the ministry's credit, they came out with a document, a policy document called Growing Success. And just the title alone, you know, this isn't assessment policy. It's called Growing Success. 
And the policy statements in there make it very clear that every teacher, K-12, to when they're coming up with their final evaluations, it has to be built on three different components. It has to be built on products, on observations, and on conversations. And so that alone, it's not even just an offer that it may be. That is an actual expectation in the policy document. So you can imagine at the time we had incredible conversations with teachers. Well, what would that look like? What would that look like in a 12th grade mathematics class, 12th grade calculus class, where it's observations and conversations? And technology should be able to help with that, right? With kids taking snapshots of the work and being able to put it into a teacher's digital file where they can actually show their thinking, making their thinking visible when it's 30 students in a class at the same time. And the teacher doesn't have to be necessarily somehow magically finding time to go to each one of those desks or those groupings. They get to actually take a look afterwards. And so when they're coming up with their final evaluation, they have the ability to say, okay, I've got some products. I've also got some conversations and I've also got some observations and they can truly do that. And you're right. Until evaluation practices move away from a series of averaged out numbers, we're not really doing justice to what students can actually do. One of the things that Kathy, you and Joe are working a lot on is that world of data science. What is data science? And I can only imagine how excited kids are when they actually see mathematics in context, that there's a purpose for it, that it's in part of their living world. So tell us where that came from. Data science to me is a mathematical stew or a soup. It's this beautiful coming together of all of these things. There's some algebra and statistics and probability and so many other things that it can be. If you think about the geometry and geospatial work that's being done that can come in. And so here's this world of, here's something we need to make sense of it. And what answers can we get from this? What questions do you have of it? And what answers can we get from it? Because so much of this already exists and is freely available. And I see data science as this positioning. And and then how do you tell that data story? I mean, there's all these components of this that I think resonate with more children, you know, with more students, more adults. They can think about it. Oh, you know, I really like to tell stories. I love to make things visual. Maybe I can make a really good visual that actually accurately tells the story of this data. And so you know, data scientists in the field today, it's a very broad thing and a bunch of them together need to work through this. So I think of it that way, that it brings all this mathematics together. It utilizes data that exists, or, you know, there may be in a process where you want to achieve your own data or mine it from something. You know, I'm just going to share a story. Where I live, I live right at the tip of the bay in California, and the roads are narrow and then there's you know transit trains going through and and there's a big stadium levi stadium is walking distance for me and so there aren't a lot of sidewalks because of everything they've tried to smash into this space you know and google and nasa and everything it's all just boom right here so a student at the local community college noticed that there were a lot of pedestrian and bicycle accidents due to traffic patterns that student collected that data because it was freely available did an analysis took it to the city council, did a presentation, and they've 
closed a lane partially so that it's safer now. So that's kind of a story of what I see data science is. It's being able to take something and make a difference to make it a better place, whatever it is, whether it's your school, your community, a state, a country. Kathy, I have a really good friend and colleague from New Zealand, Joanne McKecka, and she talks about contributive learning. And this is a classic example of that. It's that student decided that they wanted to have an impact. They wanted to have, you know, it's a sense of social responsibility. It's all of those things. And they used mathematics and data analysis to be able to create a story that was convincing enough that would actually have an impact on that student's community for the good of all. And those are the kinds of things not only does a little bit earlier, we talked about the idea of data science making mathematics available for all students. Not only does it make it available for all students, it also makes it available for all teachers. Because every teacher, you know, I think of the work that we did 20 years ago when we moved to literacy across the curriculum, that it wasn't good enough for it just to be the English teacher that was teaching children how to communicate orally and in written form, that every teacher needed to be thinking about what does good reading and writing look like? What does good making meaning of text look like? And it was everyone's responsibility. We really did some good work in that area. Every teacher kind of said, yeah, I can do that. But they all had to kind of have a fundamental understanding of what did we mean by making meaning of text, et cetera. And I think of this as data science as being an opportunity to really get numeracy across the curriculum, where every teacher sees mathematics and data science within the perspective of the lens of their subject area. So if they're a science teacher, they're thinking of what are those big thorny problems, you know, everything from climate change to wildfires in their communities, et cetera. There's a million topics and there's a data analytics piece in there. You get the art teacher, you get the music teacher. I mean, every single teacher, the athletics teachers and athletics coaches, it becomes numeracy and data science across the curriculum. And that's where we're going to make a difference. Exactly. So well said. It brings in all these other content areas and it just gives that opportunity to anyone that wants to dig around in this and learn how to use mathematics as a tool. And there's technology that plays into this and it's right there. There's so much that we can do together. And in the learning of it, there are important learnings. How do we pay attention to then data that's expressed to me in this article or whatever I'm, I might have gotten this in front of me? You know, I now know how to ask the questions and be a critical consumer of this information. A lot of times people look at a graph and think, oh, that's it. I don't want to overwhelm teachers and, you know, scare them. I do not see data science as something we're going to add on to their plate. Their plate is already heaping full. I see data science as a means of, hey, we can do data science flavor in third grade in an activity. All we do is we just tweak it a little bit this way. And so I think we have a lot of work we need to do with people to help them see that in the content they already teach. A science teacher, a social science teacher, it's not adding on to all those standards they're working with. It's saying, well, if we know a little bit about this and we have the tools to help the students, we can do so much more and make it so much more meaningful to kids. It's also that idea of building a a whole school approach to numeracy, because I think of in the districts that I worked, we always had to have a board improvement plan for numeracy. And of course, particularly at the secondary level, 
you know, most of the teachers would say, well, I, I don't teach numeracy. I teach a different subject area, right? Data science is something that that can be the whole school project. And the learning community of teachers comes together and says, well, what would data science look like in the different subject areas? And what are the key concepts that across the different subject areas, we would want kids to come out with those skills and they get to practice it in different subject areas. How fun is that? You know, if if you actually had that teen look at what are the key skills and competencies that we want them to come out of at the end of 12th grade? And what would that look like in science? And what would that look like? How would each of us as teachers in those different subject areas contribute to that? Because that's the thing. The beauty of that is not only are are kids getting an opportunity to see it in different subject areas, they're actually getting a chance to practice it in different contexts. And when you think of the jobs that they'll go on to and the world that they're going out into, to be able to have that kind of adaptive brain where they're saying, okay, this is a skill in this context. I use it this way. In this context, I have to use it slightly differently. Like the possibility is incredible. Aren't we surrounded by really hard problems? And with data science, we can really understand these hard problems better and work towards solutions. And really, you know, bring everyone into this. The more minds, the better, right? It's just like a math party. It's, you know, I think about the neuroscience and everything. It's just a math party going on there with the possibilities and all the lights and the connections going happening in the brain. And the more brains, the more connections. And here we go. Let's, we're greater together. One of the things, you know, I'm going to throw out there because if I was, you know, I, I, at one point in my life, I thought, well, maybe I could be a superintendent someday, or maybe I could be an assistant superintendent at a county level. And, and obviously, you know, UCube came up and I jumped full on and, and here we go. I'm, I'm on this crazy train and it's amazing. We're glad you did. Yeah, thank you. But one of the, if I was in a district today, one of the things that's really stumbling blocks is how do we measure our success academically, right? And I know at least, you know, in the U.S., we've, you know, there's these tests and these things that happen and tests are everywhere. And then People start to average this data and they start to take this data apart. And sometimes the data isn't very transparent from the system that's been used. Another thing, but but then, you know, say, oh, well, this school is underperforming or these students aren't. Okay, so we need to anonymize it, but let's take that data, anonymize it, and let's put it in the kids' hands of that school, you know, and say, all right, what can we learn from this? How can we do better? You know, let's just take their own data and put it up for them and say, you guys analyze it. Here's some, you know, after they know something about data science, what can you tell us about this? Maybe we have a better system. That whole concept of uh, student voice, right? We don't listen to them enough. Yeah, exactly. Well, I think it's fairly safe to say that when you walk into classrooms and you see kids engaged in that type of learning, whether it's data science lessons or whether it's some of the other types of approaches that you're using in UCube, you can see the difference it makes. You can see how engaged they are and you can't help but assume that we're going to have more students that will continue on with the magic of mathematics as opposed to the fear of mathematics. Because what we were doing before might have been good, and I'm saying might have been good, for a very small subsection that goes all the way through to pure and applied mathematics. But the world that they're emerging into, mathematics is everywhere. And helping them see that mathematics is everywhere right from the beginning 
and then having a positive relationship with mathematics, that has to be good as far as, you know, when I think of some of the factors that are, you know, schools are judged by graduation rates, number of students that are taking certain courses, et cetera. If we make the courses more appealing, we're going to have more kids being successful and they'll be taking them. Absolutely. We need more choice. Mathematics is such an amazing, beautiful field. And for some reason, we got ourselves down a position thinking that, well, you've got to be able to do your times tables on this sheet in three minutes or you're not it. Or you've got to be able to factor this quadratic. Who in the world is out there factoring an industry, a quadratic equation right now? And yet kids are spending hours, torturous hours, at least in the U.S., doing this over and over and over again. So really offering more choices and showing a broader view of mathematics. And I think in my world, we'll have arrived if I can go out, you know, I I have a job today where it's flexible in hours and I can be in the Starbucks at 9 a.m. sitting there and moms are coming in and getting their coffees after they've dropped off their kids. Invariably, the chatter is negative and it's about mathematics. I'm not kidding. And if I sit in the soccer stands, I love to watch youth sports sitting there in the stands. And there it is again. You know, the parents are talking about their kids' education. Mathematics is involved. And having these opportunities to broaden it, to make it where everyone can see themselves as a user of it, like they can use their phone or they can get the cable going, you know, hook up the cable box and all these other things. You know, I can use the cable system. I can use mathematics. And it makes my life in the world a better place. You know, whenever we're evolving an approach to particularly mathematics, it is highly contentious. And one of the things that I wonder, you know, have we done a good job of partnering with our our business communities and our business leaders? Because, you know, when we look at the lists that come out that say, you know, these are the top 25 jobs that are coming out, data analytics comes every single time. And it's across industries. It's everything from you know, the arts and publishing to NASA, it it doesn't matter whether it's STEM type industries, it's all industries that are saying that there's a need for people to be able to analyze data, to make sense of it, to be able to communicate it, to be able to work with numbers. Have we done a good job of really having the business community speak to what their needs are in education? You know, if we've done a good job in pockets, because I don't want to say that we haven't done any good. I think there has been good. But I think ultimately, we have to do better. Mm -hmm. You know, I I think that we have industry, you know, where I live in the Silicon Valley, there's companies that are saying, we need people that can communicate. We need them to be able to work on a team together. We need them to be able to problem solve and use, okay, all these things I'm talking about aren't necessarily what's thriving in our mathematics classrooms. And so, you know, and, and the companies are saying, well, if students can show us they can do this, they don't have to have that college degree. I mean, that's really happening, you know, or if you take our educational program, we'll hire you. So I think we have to do better. I think you brought up a couple of things. And one of the things that I think is really interesting is that meshing between mathematics and social emotional learning. If you think of Silicon Valley as an example, those business leaders, and I've had a number of podcasts and roundtables where I've had people like that that are saying exactly that. The technical skills, the foundational skills are not enough 
they have to have the social emotional skills to be successful here. And, you know, maybe those are the kinds of things that we need to get out is how do we really come together as the education sector and the business sector saying, here's a combination of the skills that are required and how can we work together to help students develop those skills right down from five-year-olds all the way to 25-year-olds when they're walking out of their PhD programs. You're right on, you know, all of those things, molding a 21st century human. I think, you know, and I, I know I pick on this a lot, but, you know, it, it's kind of the things that challenge me to think that, you know, there's kids out there that they think the mathematics lives inside of their textbook and in their teacher's head and their teacher's ability to communicate to them. And so when they're stuck, they don't know what to do. Right. You know, and, and I think that's some of the early work that Joe and I were doing, you know, with the summer camps we were working on, we wanted to bring in students, but our goal when those students left We wanted them to have better number sense and we wanted them to see math as algebra as a tool for solving problems. One of the biggest things we wanted them to do is to be able to say, if I'm stuck, here's some strategies. Maybe I'm going to try to draw it. I'm going to talk to a friend or somebody that'll talk to me about it. And I have these tech tools. I could search it. I can look for help and support. So, you know, that, that it isn't this isolated thing that I'm alone as I think of my childhood. I'm alone at my desk doing these calculations and trying to do them fast. Kathy, this is a perfect way to end the conversation because you've talked about making sure that every child has strategies to get through the math problem. And we've also talked about what are the strategies that teachers can be using in classrooms to help develop those. And what are some of the strategies that school leaders and district leaders can do to make sure that this vision of mathematics for all becomes a reality in our classrooms? You know, I think the biggest thing is, first off, recognizing that mathematics is a creative subject. It's a subject where all the work shouldn't look the same. If all the work looks the same in a mathematical classroom, that is not interesting. I mean, who wants to paper their walls with these pages of the same? It should be creative. Students should be able to find themselves in the solution, and they should be able to communicate what it is that they've done and be proud of that in the different ways and then be curious about other ways. And so I think if we could change that perception of math just being what you've done, but this collaborative, creative space, you know, we bring in the tools for that that are the technology, the manipulatives the different ways of seeing and and UCube, you know, we work with neuroscientists, so we're not crazy. Well, we might be crazy, but, you know, (laughs) they say brain connections and some of the highest mathematical achievers they've looked and they have more brain connections. And so we need to get the brain connections going in these visual areas for mathematics and the, you know, all of the areas and, and that's learning, that is learning. And so administrators and teachers just supporting that and knowing that, Mistakes are fantastic. You know, we wouldn't be anywhere without mistakes. You know, if we got everything right, it would be very uninteresting and there'd be little to talk about and we wouldn't be growing, right? We wouldn't have industry and development and all these new things. Kathy, this has been an incredibly inspiring conversation. I am excited about mathematics again and You know, the very last comment that you made, you made something, a comment about the brain science behind math. And I think that that would be such a fascinating conversation. And we will dive into that at another time. How's that? 
Oh, I'd love that. Yeah. That's one of my favorite things today. It, it really unlocked me as a mathematician. And I'm still growing in that area because it's something I've had to learn. Kathy, you have inspired not only me, but I'm sure the listeners out there. Thank you so much for your time. And we are going to have another conversation at a later date. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks to Kathy for joining our podcast today. Kathy's math journey is an inspiration to all educators. She's given us sound advice on how to create a whole school approach to math instruction that will engage every one of our learners. If you enjoyed this discussion, you may want to check out one of our roundtables where Kathy is joined by Joe Bowler and Tanya Lamar to discuss Return to Learn in a Data-Filled World. You can find this roundtable on the Knowledge Hook Signature Leadership Portal linked in the description of this podcast. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.